Bibles open. Um, and if I can encourage you, read the whole chapter. Uh, we're really just taking a portion of this passage. Um, and there's a lot in here. Uh, so let me encourage you, read that whole chapter. Um, but we're going to focus on these verses that we've just had read to us. So please join me uh, as we first pray and ask for God's help to understand. Heavenly Father, we come now to you and we thank you for your word. We thank you that you have kept it for us. And we thank you that it feeds us, that it nourishes us. Um, and we pray that we might be reminded of that as we hear the words of Jesus this morning. And so, Holy Spirit, we ask that you would speak, that our hearts would be open, that our ears might hear, and that our eyes might see the food that you are offering to us today. And this we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Just on Monday, I attended a funeral for a missionary in Japan. Her name was Ruth. Uh, she spent 32 years uh, of her life in Japan sharing the good news of Jesus. Uh, she left her family and friends and a career as a teacher behind uh, so that people in Japan might hear the gospel, move from darkness to light, death to life, as they hear about Jesus, as they come to him, so that their souls might not hunger or thirst. And the question I want to ask is, is it worth it? 32 years of her life, her husband, given for that cause. From time to time, I go down to Sydney uh, for meetings or events. Uh, and every time I walk through the CBD, I find it depressing. I find it really depressing. It's, it's super busy, it's rushed. And I, I'm a busy person, I don't mind rush. I don't mind the hurriedness of it all. But when I'm there, it just seems so hopeless and vain. The second tallest building in Sydney is the Salesforce building. If you don't know what Salesforce is, it's a customer relations and service software company. And in a lot of ways, this building is an icon of what people worship. Wealth and success. I was reading an article by Clay Cockrell. He's a, physio, a psychotherapist to the rich. Uh, and he writes about their challenges. Um, and, and the challenges are that they struggle to trust people. They're suspicious of people as they come into their lives. Do, they, do people just want my money? Or And this might sound odd, but they struggle to find purpose because their financial needs are now met. And so they struggle. They've got fortune, they've got wealth, they've got security, and yet they're lonely, they're suspicious, and they have no purpose. What is it that you're looking for in life? And it might not be wealth, but it might be comfort, health, security, love, family, success, a future for your kids. Or maybe you're on the other side where, they, where you're just so bored with life that you're just going through the motions waiting for someone or something to fill the void. As we hear God's word today, Jesus offers something that fills that void. 
And it is not temporary. It never spoils. You never go hungry. You never thirst. And he offers it to all. All who come to him and believe. And when we hear those things, when we hear something that good, immediately the question is, what's the catch? What, what do I have to do? And that's the question that we keep asking, isn't it? Even for those of us who are Christians and have walked with Jesus, there's still this underlying question, what do I have to do? And that's the question that the Jews ask Jesus. What must we do to do the works God requires? Now let's just set the scene because we've just jumped into the middle of um, a big chapter. uh, And uh, so let's just set the scene. Uh, At the start of the chapter, Jesus has just fed the 5,000. Uh, if you know the story, there's a boy with his lunchbox. He's got five loaves of fish, uh, five loaves of bread. You don't have loaves of fish. You have loaves of bread and two small fish. And Jesus prays and multiplies this food to feed over 5,000 people. In response to this, the people want to make him, make him king. But Jesus wasn't having any of it. And so he withdraws from the crowd. He and his disciples, they cross the Sea of Galilee uh, to the other side. And so we pick up in verse 22 as the crowd joins the search uh, for Jesus. They head to Capernaum, uh, realizing that he's moved on. And when they find him, they ask, not so innocently, when did you get here? Jesus gets straight to the point. Verse 26. You're not here because I performed a miraculous sign. You're here because you got stuffed with free food. And let's be honest, who doesn't like free food? I do. It's even better when it's an all-you-can-eat buffet. But Jesus isn't talking about food, is he? No, he's talking about something deeper. He uses food as an analogy. Do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. Jesus is talking about what satisfies the soul. Food fills the belly, but eventually we get hungry again. And that's a bit of a metaphor for life, because if we're honest, most of us chase after things that will never really satisfy. Going back to Clay Cockrell, the psychotherapist, this is what he writes about the ultra-rich. My clients are often bored with life, and too many times this leads them to chasing the next high, chemically or otherwise, to fill that void. In 1922, on the 26th of November, Howard Carter and his tomb uncovered the tomb of the pharaoh Tutankhamun in the Valley of the Kings. And if you know, almost all the tombs in that valley had been robbed in ancient times. But Tutankhamun's tomb had been untouched, virtually untouched. And over 10 years, that team excavated over 5,000 objects buried alongside him. On another trip to Sydney, I was sitting next to a woman on the plane, and she was telling me about her uncle who had recently passed away. After he had passed away, they went to his house to tidy things up, and it struck her as she walked in. Everything was still there. All his possessions were still there. 
And here we have an ancient king of Egypt and a man living in the suburbs in the 21st century, and there is no difference. Their possessions remained. Jesus says, do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. Some of us here want to find comfort and an easy life. We put up with the boredom, the stress, and the endless hours of work, hoping that one day we'll finally be free. Or we put up with endless streams of entertainment and social media. Even though we know it's not real, we know that it doesn't satisfy, but we keep chasing. There's the new show, TV show, the new movie, hoping it just dulls boredom's pain long enough to fall asleep. Some of us long for acceptance and love, whether that's friendship, family, or affection of that one person. We cling to a false hope that that one person, that love will make everything better. We compromise on values we believe to be right just in hope that something will change. We put up a facade, a mask, hiding our hardened hearts because we've just given up that anyone would care enough to take notice. Some of us have given up on ourselves, our hopes and our dreams now rest in our children. We hope and pray that they will have a better life than ours. And we do everything in our power and ability to give them that life. We provide them with every opportunity, every resource, everything, even at the cost of our health and well-being. Jesus says that he will give us food that endures to eternal life. Do you hear that? Jesus provides, he gives us this food. We don't have to pursue and chase after temporary things that don't satisfy, earthly pursuits that leave us even more hungry, if not addicted to more. We don't have to be numbed by momentary ecstasy of entertainment and pleasure. Jesus offers something eternally greater. And I hope you hear that. Because the Jews don't hear it. Instead, they ask, what must we do? What must we do to do the works God requires? See, the Jews think that they can earn it that they can earn this eternal food. They believe they can do the works that God requires to earn blessing, to earn eternal life. Give us the checklist. What boxes do we need to tick? What must we do, they say. And when you hear that question, there's ignorance, if not straight out arrogance in this question. Tell us what to do that we might earn God's approval. And this is typical of the religious heart, then and now. Tell me what to do so I can achieve and work my way to heaven, to glory, to life, to blessing. And that danger exists for Christians too, that somehow we think we can make our way. But Jesus says, this isn't something that you can do. How does he respond to the crowd? Verse 29, the work of God is this. To believe in the one he has sent. This is the complete opposite of working to earn something. It is a matter of faith. It's a matter of trust. 
It's a matter of dependence that Jesus will keep his end of the bargain. We call it a gift. A gift to be received. Not to be earned, not to be gained, but something to be received. And Jesus says he will give this food, this life that endures for eternity. But again, the crowd doesn't buy it. The crowd asks for a sign, as if feeding over 5,000 people wasn't enough. After all, their ancestors, the Israelites, ate manna, the bread from heaven, during the Exodus, during the wilderness. And if you have followed through this journey, you know that the Jews honored and revered Moses. He was like their national hero. And they were waiting. The expectation in Jesus' day was that someone greater than Moses would come. And he would usher in a new age of God's kingdom. So if Jesus is saying that he is the one, well, surely he can do more than feed 5,000 people. Moses fed a whole nation. So give us a sign. But again, Jesus sets the record straight. It wasn't Moses. It wasn't Moses that provided manna for you in the wilderness. It was God. God, my Father, provided you this food. And now he is making a new offer. He has sent his Son to give the true bread from heaven. But it's not limited just to the Jews. It is bread that will give life to the world. Sounds good. Food that endures forever. The true bread of heaven that gives life not just to us, but to the world. And as the crowd hears Jesus' words, they still don't get it. Like the Tim Tam ad where the genie just constantly refills the tray of Tim Tams, the crowd wishes, Lord, always give us this bread. What must we do to receive this bread? What is the work of God? To believe in the one he has sent. There's nothing else to do. There's no extra work, no amount of good deeds to be done, no level of biblical knowledge to be gained, no spiritual maturity or level that you need to reach, no ritual to be repeated daily, simply to believe. Eternal life, this food, this bread that endures to eternal life is a gift given by Jesus and it will give life to the world. For the whole world. And that's why Paul reminds us that it is by grace that you have been saved. Through faith. And this not from yourselves. It is the gift of God. Not by works. So that no one can boast. The crowd asked for a sign. The feeding of 5,000 people wasn't enough. But see, when people want a sign, no sign is ever enough. There are Christians who see miracle after miracle. They see people healed in front of their eyes, and it's not enough. There are people who are looking for signs, and it's right under their noses. 
There are people who wonder where God is and they're surrounded by people who love and care for them. No sign is enough, but Jesus says, I am the bread of life. The sign is Jesus. These six words, Jesus draws together two pictures from the wilderness, from Exodus. Jesus draws the picture of God revealing himself to Moses in the burning bush. I am who I am. When Moses asks, who shall I tell the people who you are? God says, I am who I am. We began last week with, I am the light of the world. And we will continue for the next few weeks. Jesus revealing himself as the I am. The one who God is. But he also connects himself to that sign that the Israelites asked for. The manna given in the wilderness. The bread from heaven. And not only does it provide for those who believe it is the true bread from heaven that gives life to the world. It doesn't spoil. It endures forever. And he gives of himself to those who come to him. He's the bread of life. But see, here's the thing about bread. In its most basic form, it's just bread, flour and water. That's it. Now, you, sure, you can, you can do fancy things. You can make sourdough. You can make a baguette. You can make roti. You can make naan. You can turn it into a fancy sandwich or a burger. Add it to a curry. You can do all sorts of things with bread. But at the end of the day, it's just flour and water. It's just bread. And the temptation with Jesus and the gospel is that we want to spice it up. We want to make Jesus relevant to people. We want to repackage it, add some creative flair. We want to defend him in a world that doesn't seem to have a place for him. And there's a place for all of that. But we have to be careful that we don't lose the basics, the flour and the water, that Jesus is the bread, that he alone is enough. He doesn't, we don't need clever arguments. We don't need apologetics. We don't need formulated gospel presentations, as helpful as they are. At the end of the day, what people need is Jesus, the bread of life. And he gives life to the world. And he says, whoever comes to me will never go hungry. And whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. He will satisfy every spiritual longing of the soul. And that is his promise. Your soul's hunger fed. Your spirit's thirst quenched. And we can say that he will meet other needs too. But some of those aren't promised. What he promises is a spiritual longing of the soul being met. There's no promise of health or wealth, no promise of perfect relationships or families, no promise of freedom from pain or suffering. There's no promise that our kids will succeed or even be positive contributions to society. 
We pray they are, but there's no promise there. Have you ever had a stomach ache only to discover that you're just hungry? You didn't feel hungry, but you're in pain. And our response to that pain is, something's wrong, and there is something wrong. But really, it's just that you're hungry, and you just need some food. Is there a hunger in your soul? Does your heart ache for something more? Or are you simply snacking on temporary pleasures, worldly entertainment, or fake realities of social media? What are you feeding your heart, your mind, and soul? See, Jesus promises that whoever comes and believes in him will have the deepest longing of their soul met in him. No more hunger, no more thirst. He gives life, eternal life. And all you need to do is come to him. And listen to what he says following. All those the Father gives me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never drive away. Now there's two things happening here. And people argue about this all the time. But the first thing is that God gives people to Jesus. And secondly, people choose to come to him. Now you can try and figure how that works, but the reality is they both work together. That God both brings people to Jesus. He stirs people's hearts and spirits and minds to see and to desire Jesus But people also make a choice to come to Jesus. But the point is here that Jesus says, whoever comes to me, I will never drive away. And that is not just Jesus' heart. This is the heart of God the Father. Jesus says this is God's will. This is his desire that all who come to Jesus will not be lost. Jesus will give them eternal life and he will raise them up on the last day. And so there's comfort here that if you come to Jesus, he's not going to drive you away. No matter who you are, no matter what you've done, Jesus won't drive you away. He says, come to me. Now, people might drive you away, Christians might fail and turn you away, but Jesus never will. Which also gives us assurance, it gives us comfort, and he gives us assurance because he sticks with you. He stays with you. Once you're in his hands, he's not going to let go. And that is the Father's will. That is God's desire. And it's why the Apostle Paul says, For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation, nothing will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Isn't that good news? Are you hungry? Are you thirsty? Do you long for more? Jesus says, come. Come daily. When Jesus taught his disciples to pray, 
he teaches them this line, give us today our daily bread. And it is this bread, it is Jesus that offers to satisfy our hunger and our thirst for life. But we need it every day. And it's not that the bread itself is lacking. It's not like Jesus is lacking. Because we live in a world that is filled with temptation. We live in a world that distracts us. We live in sin. And so we're distracted, we're distracted, we're conned into believing that the delicious stew that's simmering away, filled with promises of health, wealth, acceptance, love, comfort, and ease, will somehow be more filling and satisfying. We snack on the bite-sized pieces of entertainment and media in the pantry of our screens, suggesting that there's more, something more, if you just get it together, get the right stuff, live the right way, get the right lifestyle. And social media, if you're on there, there are people who hashtag manifest the life change that they want. All you need to do is consciously attract what you want into reality. You can do it. That's what the world is saying. And if you're wise enough to see it, it's the prosperity gospel in everything but name. Name it and claim it. Speak it and receive it. And really, this has existed since the beginning of time as people have tried to manipulate the divine for their own purposes. Are you hungry? Are you thirsty? Do you long for more? What must you do? Jesus says, come and believe. Come daily. Where do you start? Well, ask the Holy Spirit to give you that hunger and that thirst. The irony of the crowd is they got one thing right. Lord, always give us this bread. They were hungry. They were just hungry for the wrong thing. And this is where we need a spiritual dietitian. We need the Holy Spirit to eliminate the things in our life that rob us, that rob our souls of life. If you've ever known anyone or if you've known the elimination, elimination diet, you just one by one take things out until you see how your body responds and what gives you energy, what gives you life. And that's what hap- this is what discipleship, this is what the Christian life is about. It's about going on a spiritual elimination diet where little by little as you walk with the Spirit of God, everything gets eliminated until you find life or your life is enriched. How do we do that? I want to go back to the Lord's Prayer because I think it offers us a helpful framework and process. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. It begins with worship. We need to see who God is. Your kingdom come, your will be done. As we see who God is, we then seek his kingdom and his will. But as we do that, we recognize that we need his help. So give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. 
I think that's a helpful prayer and a helpful exercise. As we seek to go on a spiritual diet to eliminate the things that rob us of life, Jesus says, worship God. See who he is. See who the Father is. Seek his kingdom and his will. Trust him each and every day to provide all that you need. Physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually, trust him to provide the strength and the resources you need. But we live in sin. We live broken. So ask for forgiveness. And ask that the Spirit will go with you to lead you and guide you and protect you from temptation and sin. I don't like formulas, but maybe you could call this a recipe. A recipe for life. There's like the beauty of bread. There's no set quantities. You can make all kinds of breads with different quantities. You could end up with a focaccia, a roti, or even a croissant. Or you could just have plain sandwich bread. But the important thing is that you've got the right ingredients. And Jesus says, just come. Come to me. Worship God. Seek his kingdom. Trust him for daily sustenance. Ask for forgiveness. And trust him to lead and guide you and protect you. Ruth, the missionary uh, whose funeral I was at on Monday, used to say, one step after the other, Jesus, I'm following you. And that's what it is. It's day by day, coming to Jesus and being nourished and fed by him. He satisfies the hunger and the thirst of our souls and he gives us life that endures for eternity. Jesus says, I am the bread of life. So come to him. He won't ever drive you away. Believe in him. Put your trust in him. And he holds you. He won't let you go. And one day, he'll raise up, raise us up to eternal life with him. Whereas Isaiah says, the Lord Almighty will prepare a feast of rich food for all peoples, a banquet of aged wine, the best of meats, and the finest of wines. I'm looking forward to that feast. And I won't mind having some bread with Jesus too. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, you say that you are the bread of life. That we can come, that we can believe in you, and that you will satisfy the deepest longings of our soul. No more hunger, no more thirst. But for many of us, we know that, but it's also not as easy. And so we just ask that you might help us as we continue to keep in step with you one day at a time to eliminate the things that rob us of life. Help us, Holy Spirit. Give us strength for each day that we might come to take in more of Jesus and find satisfaction and life in him. And so this we ask for his sake. Amen.